What's up, College of Charleston basketball fans? Happy Monday to you. My name is Tommy. This is the Holy City Hoops podcast. A few different goings on to chat through today. Ryan Teichler, a fellow CFC sports obsessive, is here to help us out. He's been on the pod a few times before. We start by getting in our final thoughts on the UNC game. I mean, can you blame us if we want to relive the first 30 minutes of that game again in our heads? Uh, But then we have to turn our attention to what the Cougs have coming up this week, which is the first road trip of the season. First up tonight, ESPN Plus at Oklahoma State, another Power 5 team for the Cougars to match up with. And you'll hear from me and Ryan. We think this is a very winnable game, despite this Cowboy team being, you know, a top five team in the Big 12. But it's a team the Cougars have played close a couple of times the past few seasons. Later this week, the Cougars will be at the Southern Conference favorites, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Ryan and I talk about that, the old foes of ours in the Southern Conference back in the day. Then there's some roster news we need to discuss, including the first verbal recruit of the Pat Kelsey era, class of 2022. So stick around for that. We're running through the full gamut of Charleston hoops today, so buckle in, and if you're new to the pod, Maybe you were at the UNC game and you were like, wow, I need to follow Charleston basketball a little bit more closely. Where can I turn for that? Hit subscribe on your podcast app. Give us a follow on social media. Come along for the ride with us. Let's bring Ryan in and get to today's show. All right, friends, we are joined on the pod today by a frequent guest of the pod. He's been on a couple of times, Mr. Ryan Teichler. Ryan, how's it going, man? Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me on the pod. Yeah, no worries. AKA Coogie Monster. Which, which which do you prefer, Coogie Monster or just Ryan? Uh, you can call me either. But uh, so far, I think this is my third trip to the pod. I'm now an official friend of the pod. You're an upperclassman at this point. Yeah, third, That's right, I'll take third visit. Well, we have a couple things to talk about. We have not put the final word on this UNC game, which I want to cover. You watch it on TV. I was there uh, on the sidelines, had a ton of fun. So I want to talk UNC. Charleston hits the road this week for a pair of games. First road trips for them at Oklahoma State Monday night and then at Chattanooga on Thursday, an old SoCon rival uh, up there in Tennessee. In addition to that, we even have some roster moves. So lots to cover on today's pod, but let's start with the biggest game of the year thus far, UNC at TD Arena, the game everybody had circled. Charleston is not able to hang on, but I think you had stated this, Ryan, Charleston outplayed UNC for at least 20 minutes, if not closer to 30 minutes. Just ran out of gas. I want to talk about the fouls at the beginning of the second half, but let's just start with the atmosphere. I was there. It was crazy inside TD Arena. The students were out in full force. Sellout game, obviously, as we knew. You watched it on CBS Sports. How did it translate on on TV? Yeah, man, it looked awesome on TV. I got to give some credit to whoever designed TD Arena because it frames well on TV. The court looks right. The dimensions look right. It's not a high angle or a low angle. So the court looks great. The aesthetics on TV are awesome. And then the crowd was electric. The announcers are talking about it. The students have been awesome. I mean, the whole buildup to the game, even on the pregame, we're like, this place is bumping and it really did come across on TV. So kudos to all the people. I know it's a lot of work um, behind the scenes, putting something like that together and getting the students to come out and the fans to come out. But it, it was awesome on TV, man. I, I'm like really stoked. We were talking about before we were recording to hold this to the pod because I, I want to hear from you what it was like to be to be there. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start. I'll give you a little bit of inside baseball. Gary Parrish, uh, CBS reporter, college basketball reporter who was doing sideline on this game, he quickly gave up on trying to do his sideline pieces from the sideline. Anytime after about the first five minutes when you heard Gary speaking while the game was going on, he was doing it back by the bathrooms in the hallway because it, awesome. it was the only place quiet enough for him to be heard over the microphone. So anytime he wasn't shown on camera on the sideline he was in the back uh just trying to find some quiet space to record his like oh well in the huddle they were talking about this and that which hey credit to the student body and the fans for being loud and, and making a lot of noise but yeah i mean i've been in the building for a couple big games at td arena and this was right there at the top i have a, a, a trivia question for you ryan do you know what the this was the number two game ever at td arena in terms of attendance do you know what number one was so I think I do. I think I saw this on Twitter. And my, my guess, and if Twitter is right, it's the Davidson game, a Davidson-Steph Curry game, right? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah, well you would think it would be the UNC great overtime win. But yeah, it's Steph yeah. Curry. Yeah, and it's crazy. I That just shows you the power of Steph Curry, I think. Like, that's the first thing that jumped out to me. We, we saw the other day when Steph Curry was playing the Nets in Brooklyn and the fans were going berserk. And I know that Steph is probably one of the most popular players in the NBA, but that just shows you Steph Curry at the peak of his powers at Davidson could draw a crowd. Uh, but anyway, I don't... Yeah, I saw him play at the old gym when I, I overlapped with Steph for, I think, a year. Mm -hmm. And he was the best player I've ever seen live in my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I was at his last game at the old gym as well. Yeah, it's we don't have to talk about Steph Curry. He gave us a lot of heartache. Anyway... Back to the UNC game. Yeah, I got there probably a little over an hour before tip-off. Student section was already jam-packed. Uh, the FUNC chants were out. Uh, kids were loud, you know, starting from, like, the players coming out to stretch well before the game. And just like that SC State game, the start Charleston got off to, the place was rocking. I mean, the the Babacar Fay dunk to start the game, the set play, which PK said after the game uh, in the media room, was was just a great way to get everyone energized and then everyone was bouncing on the bleachers and, and stomping and making noise and then rain smith hits those back-to-back -back threes and yeah the place was electric to say the least um a few too many unc fans for my liking i'd say it was maybe like 20 20 percent unc fans kind of peppered in you could see the the blue sweater vests um but obviously an overwhelming charleston fan base they were loud impacted the game engaged the whole time like I, I was worried the students would maybe pack it up when UNC went up like eight late in the game but they stayed all the way through Pat Kelsey's got them like hook line and sinker I mean the way he comes out before the game and gets them fired up and comes over after the game to say thanks uh, those kids are so enthralled by him and the style of play uh, so it was awesome the atmosphere was awesome yeah the one thing that you might not have seen on being there that we saw on TV it was really cool to see Roy Williams and Bobby Kremen sitting together the camera panned to them multiple times. It's pretty cool to see that. Well, I was at Burns Alley before the game, and Mr. Kremens uh, came through, grabbed himself a drink with some buddies, and uh, and then made his way through the back entrance, I think. So I got to rub elbows a little bit with Kremens before the game also. No, no Roy Williams at Burns Alley, but... Maybe next time. Maybe next time. But yeah, well, let's talk about the game itself. The story for me was the freshman. We were talking about it before we hopped on the pod here. Leading score for the game, 19 points, is Rain Smith. He looked like he totally fit in. Five for 11 on threes for the night. Ben Burnham played awesome. 
three for three from the outside, never missed a shot from behind the arc, seven for 10 from the field, ran the court well, dusted a couple UNC defenders a couple times. And then Babakar, the other true freshman, nine points, three for four field goal, took a three-pointer, missed it bad. We're not worried about that, but he was active, made some some highlight plays. The, the transition dunk he had also, too, I think when Smith found him on the break and he, yeah, he jammed it. Yeah, yeah. That was an awesome play. Um, so those guys right there were not afraid of the moment at all and, and played really well. What'd you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, if I was watching it from a neutral observer's perspective, I would say the difference in the game was Armando Bacon. We yeah. just didn't have an answer for that guy. Um, that is what a true McDonald's All-American five-star big looks like. But outside of that, Tommy... I don't think we looked out of place athletically. No. Um, and we, you know, we were talking before the pod. We outplayed them for probably 20 minutes. We had a lead for 22 minutes in the game. And I would make a, a, a an argument that we were objectively the better team for 15 minutes. Uh, our legs kind of uh, let out towards the end, and, and Caleb Love hit some pretty nice shots. But – I think this bodes well going forward, especially because a guy like Baycott, he doesn't exist in the CAA. He doesn't exist in mid-major basketball. No. Uh, so, nope. you know, we're not going to see see them at all. But again, you know, from a CFC perspective, you're right. It, it really it was the freshman. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, this is more of a narrative after the game, but it's a recruiting win for CFC. Huge. I mean, I know there were some recruits there. And we have some recruiting news later in the pod. There's definitely some recruits there. There's definitely some recruits tuned in. And to see not just CFC compete and outplay UNC for a long period of time and not just to see the arena, but to see that the best players on the court are going to be here for another three and a half years is really encouraging if you're trying to recruit kids. If you're Pat Kelsey and this is your first time really recruiting kids to Charleston, I think it's a huge win for that. But uh, going back to what you said about Baycott, I think the fouls at the beginning of the second half uh, really took the wind out of Charleston's sails and really swung the momentum of the game. Up until that point, Lampton and Smart were playing pretty aggressive defense and had their hands full. But once you neutralize those guys, Baycott had an even easier time getting to the basket. Charleston had to play even smaller. They tried a few minutes even with Nick Farrar at the five. That was a disaster. And, And UNC kind of rode that momentum the rest of the way. But... You know, we should also touch on some Cougars who struggled. Um, John Meeks just seemed to be pressing a little bit to me. Uh, Two for 14 from the field, 0 for 4 from deep. Tucker has a good, not great night. He hits a couple threes, but kind of inefficient. Ali struggled a little bit. He had four assists and, and made some plays late. Hit his first three, but also an inefficient night. So I think, you know, going into halftime, even with Meeks struggling, you're feeling pretty good. But the length of UNC just really disrupted him, and they, they seemed keyed in on him and Tucker after the the start to the season those two guys had. And, and credit to UNC for completely shutting him down. Yeah. You know, I give Leaky Black a lot of credit. Um, he played great defense against Meeks, and Meeks' shot was off, so he combined the two. But going back to Leaky Black, first off, he's all-world, all-basketball name team. I mean, that's yeah, the best basketball one. name <laughs> since like you know speedy claxton but he's long he's athletic he has great defensive footwork and he bothered um meeks he, he almost reminds me of 
uh, like a Cam Johnson on steroids. Yeah. You know, very, very good defensive player. Didn't do a whole lot. Didn't really show up in the stat book. But you combine that defense with Meeks pressing, and I thought his shot was just off. Yeah, he had those two wide-open threes early in the game that both clanged, and I I don't think that did much for his confidence. Yeah, and then Tuck, yeah, Tuck, Tuck was good. He went great. I think he got lost a little bit um, you know, among the trees when he drove into the lane and got stuck. I'd like to see him develop that kind of stop-and-pop mid-range shot. If he does and he's shooting like this from three for the rest of the year, he's going to be unbelievable. But, you know, those were your two guys, your two leading scorers going into the game. They average, I think, 34 going in, and mm-hmm. they gave you half. But, you know, for your two best scorers to give you 17 and hang right in there with UNC, bodes pretty well, man. Yeah. Not only are you not going to see a team like this in the CAA, you're probably not going to see a team like this the rest of the schedule unless Charleston goes to the postseason. There's no Leaky Black. There's no Caleb Love. No Baycott, like you mentioned. Um, so yeah, I think I think you feel good. Also, I mean, keep in mind this was Charleston's fourth game in six days. Pat Kelsey had a great quote after the game where he was like, "I've barely watched any tape on us because we had three games in three days. So every every night was just prepping for the next day, and then we prepped for the two days for UNC. Like there was no looking back. I mean, when you have North Carolina, a ranked ACC team, come into your arena, you have to prep as much as you can. And we only had two days. He's like. So I can't wait to just look back at the tape and see what we can improve on, like see what adjustments I can make as a coach to put our guys in better positions. So, you know, given that start, given how jam-packed those games were, no no shame in in kind of dying uh, those last five minutes and and falling by, by double figures. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just want to circle back to, to the freshmen because they really were the story for me and if you kind of look at the core three freshmen, Baba, Benny, and Rain, you just, especially Babacar and Rain coming in from overseas players, you're a little worried about just the transition. You're a little bit, bit worried about the step up in competition, putting all that together in school. It's a lot for these kids to handle, but they've been fantastic. They're way better than I thought. And then that's, that's not to say I, I thought poorly of them, and then you add Benny Burnham on top of that, who was fantastic. Uh, I thought he was the best player on the court, honestly, for us uh, against UNC and one of the best players on the court, period. Mm-hmm. And I had heard through the grapevine of you know the, the high school recruiting rumor mills that this kid could really play, and uh, he showed it. Yeah. Yeah, he looked great. Keep in mind, the Cougars got nothing offensively from their centers as well. So we already mentioned that the scores not playing great. I mean, O.C. and Lampton are there for their defense and rebounding, but they they contributed two goose eggs uh, offensively. So I think I think we've got to find a way to get them involved a little bit more, which I'm sure Pat Kelsey and his staff are are kind of sketching out this week. But overall, I mean, Hubert Davis was super complimentary of the Cougars. He kind of admitted that he did not know how to prep some of these UNC players for the atmosphere. Keep in mind, UNC had no fans in the stands for for much of their games all last season. So guys who are returning, who were freshmen last year, have never played in that kind of atmosphere before. And he, you know, was super complimentary of that. Talked about, you know, the pace being a problem, even though UNC wants to play super fast themselves. Talked about how well coached they are. So really cool to see the head coach of North Carolina talk about Charleston that way. I, I thought that was awesome. 
Yeah, I think he even said something about like Charleston is the pinnacle of the pace we want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Putting it back to us that they want to emulate us, which is pretty cool to see. Um, Hubert seems to be a, a good dude and a good coach. And uh, I think UNC's in, in good hands there. And I think the Charleston uh, social media accounts backed that up a, a few days ago. Something about us being number one in the country in pace and possessions per game. So, yeah, maybe we are the standard for pace moving forward, which is pretty I know Ken, Ken Palm has us number one in um, adjusted pace. So if you believe Ken Palm's stats, which I tend to do, uh, we're number one. I trust it with my life. That's, That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I mean, what a difference from last year. It's crazy. But, yeah, just to put a bow on this game, big-time environment, A-plus atmosphere, win or lose. It's a recruiting win for Charleston. Uh, really impressed with the players. And now you have six days of rest, almost a full week before you hit the road for the first time. So let's talk about what the Cougars have coming up this week. It does not get any easier or much easier in terms of opponent, let's say. Oklahoma State in Stillwater is next up for the Cougars. You will see that game tonight if you are listening to the podcast on Monday morning. Oklahoma State, this is the last of the uh, home and away setup we had. Did not get to play the Cowboys last season due to COVID. We were, both teams were expected to be in the Charleston Classic. Uh, so we never got the Cade Cunningham matchup, which would have been pretty cool. Uh, but this game, in Stillwater, 8 p.m. start on ESPN+. Plus. Here's a tip. If you sign up for ESPN+, Plus today, you will also be able to catch the Tulane, Stetson, and ODU games on ESPN+. Plus, and then your one month will end right after that Old Dominion game. So pro tip there. I love the fact that the Cougars go into this game rested, recovered, and with some prep time. Uh, what's your what's your scout on OK State? I haven't seen OK State play yet this year, so I don't have an advanced scout. Obviously, Mike Boynton, I wouldn't say local guy because he's not from South Carolina, but played at South Carolina. It seems he coached as an assistant at every other school in South Carolina yeah. in the CFC. Yep. Uh, but a great recruiter down there at Stillwater. So you know there's going to be athletes out there. They're going to have length. They're going to have size. They're going to have speed. They play a very deep rotation so far. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they have a guy. It, you know, obviously they don't have Cade Cunningham. So I don't think they have a go-to score at this place. But they're going to play, you know, I know PK has been playing 11 deep. I think we'll see that on the other side of the court as well. They have nine players averaging between five and ten points. So it might be a little bit like Charleston's looking in the mirror because Charleston is 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 also using this deep bench and equal equal contributors. I have also not watched the Cowboys, um, but I've I've looked into them a little bit. They basically returned everybody but Cade Cunningham from a very solid tournament team last season. Uh, they were picked to finish fifth in the Big Twelve. They are postseason ineligible. Uh, if anybody follows college basketball news, you you heard about that. It's another unfair case of punishing athletes who had nothing to do with anything but i digress wins over ut arlington prairie view a&m whoever the hell that is umass lowell who all of a sudden has like two a10 wins uh and most recently north carolina state however cowboys did lose at home to a mid-major team in oakland lost 56 55 the cowboys shot just three for 17 from three in that game so it's not completely out of the question that Charleston could get another big 12 win on the road. Oh no, this is a winnable game for sure. Tommy, 
and especially the pace they play, how well they played. I mean, we won a game where we shot 36%. We hung in there with a ranked team um, in UNC. If I'm on that plane, and I know they flew private, which is nice, mm-hmm. keep packing TD Arena, um, I knew they came down today. If I'm on that plane, I'm thinking we got as good a shot as any. You know, I, I like our chances. Coin flip game for me. Yeah. Well, keep in mind the Cougars played pretty well. I guess it was now three seasons ago when we played at Oklahoma State. That was a close game that Charleston had a chance to win. And then two years ago at TD Arena when Oklahoma State came by, another awesome atmosphere. This was pre-COVID, but that this is when OC Smart gets a, a dunk to, to start the game. Crowds going ballistic. And then OK State makes however many threes in the second half and, and pulls away, not unlike the UNC game. But... Yeah, the two times these teams have played, it's been close. So I'm I'm with you. I don't think it's out of the question at all for Charleston to to get an upset here. I I think Meeks has to have a bounce back game. I think the rotation needs to continue to to play balanced and play well. Wouldn't hurt to have a, another surprise game from somebody. But yeah, I think I think Charleston should go into this game pretty confident. Yeah, you know, it, it could be an X factor game like a Rain Smith. I think we'll get a game out of Rain Smith where he'll make like six threes in a row, right? I think that'll happen this year. I also think he'll miss six in a row at some point <laughs> this year, right? So maybe we can get a surprise like that or, or see, you know, uh, if we get consistent play from the freshman like we did against UNC and Tuck and Meeks give us their average, good luck, man. I like yeah. our chances right there. This is something that's going to be worth monitoring is how teams figure out how to play Charleston. And UNC figured it out a little bit. Don't let us run. Don't let the court. Yep. Yeah. Don't let this team get up and down the court. Don't turn the ball over because that's what UNC did to fall into an early hole. Run Smith and Meeks off the three-point line. Make them put the ball on the, on the deck because Fi, Lampton, Smart, not a lot of shooters besides, you know, Tuck, Smith, Burnham, and Meeks. So it would be interesting to see how a really smart, really talented young coach like Mike Boynton game plans for this. But on on the other side, Pat Kelsey prepared a great game plan for UNC, and that was on a short prep time, and now he's had a full week. So, yeah, it could go either way. I'm excited for this game. I love it. I'm, like, so high on this team through four games, Tommy. <laughs> I, I, like, I can't wait for tomorrow night or, or tonight when, when this comes do down. You, do you remember – Charleston winning at Baylor a couple years ago at a ranked Baylor under in the Wojcik era. Oh yeah, that was that was an yeah, shockingly because yeah, yeah seriously, I'm not the biggest fan of Wojcik, so I'll stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> that was the game where Willis Hall went ballistic, Nori Johnson hit some threes, and then it was like a a sleepwalking Baylor team. I forget who who was on that team. Um, Isaiah oh, Austin was on it. Yeah, yeah, Isaiah yeah. Austin, uh, Jefferson, and they. They just got outplayed by Charleston. So Charleston has a little bit of a history upsetting these Big 12 teams. Probably the best basketball conference in the country. Anything else you're looking for in this one? No, I think we got it covered. It'd be be interesting to see Cowboys play. Like I said, I haven't seen them yet. I think we should have our legs under us um, instead of playing four games in six days. And I bet we're going to run. We're going to see what Pat Kelsey does. We're going to run. We're going to attack. We're going to be aggressive. We'll play good defense and let the chips fall where they may. It's funny, every gap in the schedule now seems so long when you start with three games in three days. But a few days after that, 
Charleston travels to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Actually, I wanted to ask you about this. When did UTC become just Chattanooga? Is that is this a recent development? I've seen everybody just referring to them as Chattanooga now. Did they drop the University of Tennessee? Is this what UNCW needs to do? I have no idea. Because when we were in school, in the SoCon days, it was University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Yeah, UTC, yeah. Just Chattanooga now, okay. I, I didn't know that. Good good rebrand, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I prefer Chattanooga. Distance yourself from the University of Tennessee. I, I hate, you know, this about UNC Wilmington. You are Wilmington. Embrace that. You, who needs the big brother mentality? I hate it. Anyway. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. Chattanooga will say the mocks. Is it Mockingjay or Mockingbird that their their mascot is? I, I thought they're the moccasins. The moccasins. Isn't that what their Isn't that what their name is? Like like the shoe or like the the snake? <laughs> You're gonna make me Google this, dude. But I think they're the moccasins. No, they're they're actually a pretty good team this year. If I remember correctly, and I didn't know we we're going to be talking about this, so I might be thinking of a, a different SoCon team, but they have two big boys who can supposedly really play underneath. So that would be a good test, too. I believe so. Yeah. So in the SoCon poll, Chattanooga got the edge over Furman and Wofford as the preseason favorite. Oh, did they? Were they number one? Yeah. Yeah. So Chattanooga, you are going on the road against a team that is projected to win their conference. SOCON and CAA have kind of gone back and forth the past couple of years and which league is a little bit better. But this is another really good test for Charleston. Chattanooga has two players I think the Cougs should look out for. Two guys who are on the first team all SOCON in the preseason. Malachi Smith, who's a big guard who had never played point, had more played wing, but is now a converted point guard. He's one of those big guards who will average like 10 points and 10 rebounds like you mentioned, kind of like a Leaky Black or, or a Cam Johnson. But with this transition, he is very turnover prone, which makes my ears perk up if I'm a Charleston fan after seeing what they did to North Carolina. Led the SoCon in turnovers last year, but a really talented player. And then they've got this kid, uh, David Jean-Baptiste, uh, who is his backcourt mate, led the mocks in threes last year. So at, at the very least, he's a, he's a Rain Smith type, type shooter. So those are the two guys to look out for. And then you mentioned the bigs. They have a guy by the name of Silvio D'Souza. Oh, that the name transfer. Is, yeah. Yes. If that name is familiar, he's a former Kansas big man who was at the center of a, a recruiting controversy, I want to say. Or no. Eli- his, eligibility? Uh, no, his fist found someone's face. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Outside well, of then. a bar. Um, and there was a big to-do about that. But yeah, he, he had uh, some legal issues that got squared away. So he has found his way to Chattanooga now. And I think that addition over the offseason is what kind of nudged them ahead of a very talented Furman team, who the Cougars will see later in the schedule, and Wofford, who's who's always good in the, in the SOCON. So that will be an interesting matchup to watch. I think, you know, O.C. and, and Chuck Lampton will get the, the matchup on D'Souza. But he is a, a Kansas-level talent playing in the SOCON. Um, so it'll be, it'll be an interesting chess game between these two teams yeah he's a big boy but again i think you run you play our system you play deep and you attack um again it's something i like about kelsey is we are who we are right he teaches a way of of basketball and he wants his guys to play that and i think we play our game 
and try not to let them bang inside and, and get half court sets and get us in foul trouble. You know, I think that will be, if, if we play our game, I, I like the Cougars. If they allow us to play bully ball inside and slow it down, it's going to be a tough one. Well, that brings up my next question. Are you expecting any differences in performance on the road? Because this is, this will be the first time we see these Cougars outside of TD arena. My concern would maybe be the shots not falling the way they do on the home court, but do you have any, any concerns? I mean, yes and no. Sight lines are a thing in college basketball. Uh, where the lights are is a thing. Uh, so getting used to shooting on a different hoop could be an issue. But the other thing is, I mean, we play freshmen. And you never know. They're freshmen, right? The best thing about freshmen is to become sophomores. Uh, so you just never know what you're going to get. But I think our style translates to the road. We will know more in a couple of days. Last thing I wanted to touch on here was some roster news. Um, we saw a report the other day that Keegan Harvey has put his name in the transfer portal. Doesn't mean he's guaranteed to be leaving College of Charleston, but it does mean that he, at the very least, is exploring his other options. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if we do not see Keegan uh, much during this road trip. Obviously, I want what's best for Keegan. Smart kid, super nice kid. Uh, seemed to have given this coaching regime a shot. He was not amongst the 13 players who transferred out when Earl Grant took the Boston College job. But man, you think there would be a role for him somewhere. I mean, a seven-footer who has an offensive skill set. I, I mentioned how Smart and Lampton didn't put any points on the board in that UNC game, and it's not like they're you know consistently scoring around the hoop. Pat Kelsey definitely wants his big men under the basket and rebounding, but... I, I I just thought the there must be some way to integrate a player like Harvey, but maybe things just they're not seeing eye to eye or something. What what are your what's your take on all this? Yeah, it, it is a very intriguing skill set. You know, six eleven, stretch four. He's got a nice shot. He's got a quick shot too, which you don't you see some lumbering bigs. It takes them forever to get a shot off. Keegan's pretty quick and he shoots at a high release point, so he can basically shoot over anyone. Uh, so really intriguing skill set. The timing of this is is weird. Like you were saying, new coaching staff, everyone transfers out. He stuck around, and now we, we see it now. The only thing I can think of, Tommy, is is like he's announcing it now to preserve a red shirt. I don't even know if that's possible. Um, hmm. But that's kind of my only thought of, of to make sense of the timing. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Keegan was in concussion protocol the first couple games of the season. He had got a concussion in practice right before the season tipped off. So obviously those first three games in three days, he, he was a no-go. I think he was dressed for the UNC game, but ended up not playing any minutes. That's a good point. I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, the other thing was, now that Charleston has this Australia pipeline, I thought that would maybe you know give him some, some comfort uh, Rain Smith, another fellow Aussie, comes in. We've got a, at least two coaches on the coaching staff who have ties to Australia, uh, a, a GA and an assistant coach. But not going to fault Keegan for following his best interests. He, him leaving is going to hurt the team's average GPA, I think. He's probably the smartest guy on the team, especially according to Pat Kelsey. Best of luck to Keegan wherever he ends up, maybe even decides to stay. But that just means there's another roster spot that PK needs to fill next year. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just not a fit. It doesn't work out. You, you shake hands and part as friends. 
Um, and that yep. just might be the situation here. Yep. Elsewhere on uh, the roster news front, Charleston picked up their first verbal commitment for 2022, the first freshman for next season, Jordan Crawford, not the former Wizard and Celtics player who dunked on LeBron James while at Xavier, but a younger Jordan Crawford from the Charlotte area, North Mecklenburg High School. That sounds familiar. That's where Jalen McManus went. Uh, really good high school in the Charlotte area. Uh, Crawford announced his verbal commitment to CFC a few days ago, picked them over Hofstra, UNCW, Radford, USC Upstate, and a few other schools. First thoughts on this. I know you don't follow the recruiting quite as much, Ryan, but uh, always good to swipe someone from the CAA competition. Uh, I always like when kids have other CAA offers. It's like, okay, he projects to be a CAA caliber player. That's good. Uh, And when it's all, you know, low major teams, that's a little concerning. Uh, But he's a point guard. Seems to be pretty quick. Seems to have a pretty good shot. Uh, which would be a fit for for PK's system. And you're going to need him next year because Demetrius Underwood is going to be out of eligibility and Famir Ali will be a third-year player at that point. So first recruit of the Pat Kelsey in Charleston era, and he is uh, a point guard. Yeah, I trust PK in his recruiting, um, especially seeing Rain and Benny and Baba coming this year. I, I haven't seen any tape on him. Honestly, just heard about it 30 minutes ago. But I do know about North Mecklenburg, very well-regarded public high school outside of Charlotte, Mecklenburg County. Uh, we do have a pipeline to them. And their AAU circuit in that part of the of North Carolina is very, very strong, too. So it'll be interesting to see what AAU program he played at and see if there's some sort of uh, relationship pipeline there as well. Figure this probably started when Kelsey was still up in Rock Hill, you know, in in the area. Yeah, not too far away. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if, given the timing, Crawford was either at the game or very much tuned into the UNC game and saw it and was like, yep, that's that's where I want to be. I think his parents both went to UNCW, so that was maybe the favorite for a little bit. So Charleston steals him, and I'm with you. I think I agree uh, that... PK seems to have some recruiting chops, uh, not just from high school, but from the D2 and D3 level, from the JUCO level. So I'm excited. There's going to be a lot of spots to fill next season, and, and this is just the first of many. Uh, but exciting news. Welcome to hashtag our city, Jordan Crawford. Yeah, congratulations to him. Anything else you want to discuss today, Ryan? Have you, have you been looking around the rest of the CAA? Any in other games pique your interest? The, the game that is is still stuck in my craw is... Hofstra had every chance in the world to beat Houston. I watched the end of that game and they were up big with like three minutes to play and they fell apart and Houston looks really good. That would have been a great win for the conference. But other than, uh, I think everyone's kind of held their own other than um, William and Mary being God awful. (laughs) Yeah. I'm disappointed in Elon too. Yeah. Our Elon. They kind of pooped the bed. They finished DFL at the Charleston Classic, a tournament that had Temple in the field, and they lose the last place game to Temple. So no Division One wins for Elon yet. They've played a tough schedule. They've played you know, West Virginia and Florida, but they did not look competitive in any of those games. But I'm with you. I mean, Hofstra had a really good chance to take down a very good top 25 Houston team, and they had a chance to take down Maryland. Yeah, they should have probably beat Maryland too. They could have two top 25 wins right now. Uh, had they executed better down the stretch. 
Uh, JMU looks great. They just took down a very solid uh, George Mason team who got a win over Maryland. I was going to say, speaking of Maryland, that, that yeah. George Mason team that JMU just beat, beat them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was a little lower on JMU. I think this is the hardest year to prognosticate preseason about the CAA just because of all the moving parts. So I was lower on JMU than most, but Hey man, they're, they're playing great. And yeah, I look think good. honestly, right now, I would say it's awesome. Them at the top of the conference. I, I think Hofstra's up there, but they got to learn to to finish games. I mean, they've obviously always been offensively talented, but that's a, a, a nice group at the top. JMU Hofstra CFC all look good. I've all competed. Well, JMU needs to play somebody. Either George Mason or Old Dominion is the toughest game they've played so far. They need to play a Power 5. Um, but Hofstra's Agreed. held their own. We've held our own. The rest of the CAA, we'll see. They're, they're beating bad teams. We will know more about this team in a week after they, they go on the road. Two tough games at Oklahoma State and at UTC, Chattanooga, whatever we're calling them now. Uh, but Ryan, man, thanks for coming back on the pod. Thanks for, for lending your insights and your thoughts on on the Cougars so far. I know you're excited. Anything you want to leave us with? No, I'm just, I'm stoked. Let's go get a win in Stillwater. Let's go steal a win in Stillwater, man. That would be awesome. Get your ESPN Plus subscription, even if you just need it for a month. It's well worth it. Watch these Cougs. Support the Cougs. Go Cougars. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Ryan. Go Cougs. Yep, thank you.